1014. Now that is enthusiasm, isn't it? Did you see that? That was great. Jonah, our new member of the church, rushing off to Children's Church. Uh, you know, those of you who are parents, if you are members yourself and you would like to see your children become members, I'd love to talk to you about that. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the words that describes our church is Presbyterian, and that's just kind of a, a weird word. Um, but one of, the, one of the things that Presbyterian means is that we, um, that we really value children. And that there, there are some traditions, traditions whom I, I love and respect. I'm not trying to look down, but where you actually have to, you have to become an adult. You have to have this full-fledged faith before you can really belong, before you can really be baptized, before you can really belong to the people of God. But of course, Jesus, when uh, people were bringing little ones, infants even to Jesus, his disciples uh, said, oh, Jesus doesn't have time for them. He's not interested in those inconsequential, insignificant little ones. And Jesus rebuked the disciples and said, bring the little ones to me. For they, they embody, they show us what, what you need to become in order to be in the kingdom of God, to be part of the family of God. And so we love little ones. And you don't have to be able to articulate your faith to have a faith. And that's true of three, four, five, six-year-olds. They may not always be able to articulate their faith, although you'd be surprised. I have some pretty sophisticated conversations with my four-year-old daughter, Julianne. She asks about all kinds of things that often um, make, uh, often give me pause and, and, uh, and will stump me. So um, it's, it's a real joy to have Lucy and Jonah as part of our church family. Um, most of you will know, just an aside here, that Clara was up, the, up front playing in Don's absence. Uh, Clara, thanks so much. Let's give, her, give her and the worship team a round of applause for doing that. It's so wonderful. So Don is, uh, most of you know, Don is on some well, very well-deserved, long overdue vacation seeing family, uh, I think in Kansas City, I believe. So I got a couple texts and pictures from him. He was having a great time. So with that, let's turn to God's Word, and let's, if you would, look in your bulletin, you'll see the summons of the Word, a summons that sobers us, that reminds us that we need to be on our toes here at the edge of our seats. We need to be listening. Parents, we want to be setting examples to our children, ready to receive counsel. Mom and dad aren't always right. They, too, receive advice. They, too, receive counsel. They, too, are living in submission to uh, an authority outside themselves. And this summons of the word is taken from Proverbs 4 this morning. And it calls us to hear that what we are about to listen to, what we're about to hear, isn't just knowledge. It's not just facts. It's actually wisdom. And wisdom is all about living life in the smartest way possible. It's about getting life right the first time. So let's read these words together. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. Esteem wisdom, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. This morning, before we launch in, actually, just, I just want to just take a moment, silently, each and every one of us, meditate on that summons to the word. I want to stop and just think about how we want God to speak to us this morning. All right, so just for a moment, pray, pray to the Lord silently to yourself and ask him to change you. Ask him to, to speak to you this morning so that you can grow to be more like Christ. Let's take, just take a second and let's do that together.
Well, again, we're starting our, our sermon series this summer, our summer sermon series from First Peter. Our intern Juan Vasquez recommended that we said, "Hey, why don't we why don't we study First Peter?" And that's a great idea. I was really excited about that. So he'll be preaching along with me this uh, this coming summer as we go through this over the next I don't know eight or ten weeks or so. So as we as we launch in here, I want to ask a question: How many of you kids are in school right now? Any of you in school right now? Yeah, none of us are, right? I don't think, unless you might, might go to a special school of some sort, or maybe you're in summer school. Most of us are out of school. Isn't that great? Right? As a kid, I thought summer was the best. But I always knew it was going to come to an end, right? And, and it, for me, it ended in the worst, worst way possible. It ended with the day that was, the, my, well, it was my least favorite day of the entire year. Do you know what that day was? The first day of school. The first day of school, yuck, right? And, and of course, you know, why didn't I like school? It was because, of course, it was school. But even more than that, I would wake up that morning, that morning, the first day of school, with that knot in my stomach and a lump in my throat. Why? Because there was this big question in my mind. You know what that's like, kids? You know what question you have in the first day of school? For me, the big question was this. Would I fit in? Would I fit in? And the answer, especially when I was a little kid, those of you who were little, me, you're in first, second, third grade, fourth grade, when I was that age, the overwhelming of the answer was no, I did not fit in. As a first grader, I can remember my first day when a boy said to me, he said, hey, your shoes. And he pointed at them, and he said, your shoes are stupid. I didn't realize shoes could be stupid. I thought it lacked intelligence, I don't know. But I knew that that was, that was not a good thing. I didn't have the right shoes and things didn't get, didn't get any better when I, when I started speaking, when I opened my mouth. Because as a kid, and you can probably tell this every once in a while, it's ironic that I became a preacher, because as a kid I had a fairly significant lisp. Not only a lisp, but even when I was nervous, I would start stuttering. And so imagine a first grader, second grader, who had a lisp, who's often told, say it, don't spray it. Right? Who would stutter. And I simply didn't fit in, especially in the school bus. Riding the school bus to school was, um, was not something I looked forward to because I was constantly made fun of. And uh, I would have kids sit next to me and just basically torture me the whole way there and back. And so the first day of school always reminded me that I just felt like I could never fit in. I was always an outsider, one who was always told to go away to find somewhere else to fit in. And what's amazing here is this is exactly how Peter begins his letter. He addresses his audience as misfits, as foreigners, or our, our particular uh, translation here, as exiles. Look at verse 1 with me. This is how the book begins. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles, See that? Exiles. Exiles of the dispersion. Those who are scattered. He says, you're misfits, and you're scattered all throughout these various regions. These are regions of modern-day Turkey, or Asia Minor, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Peter calls his audience exiles, or you could probably better translate it, foreigners. He calls them that because they, they don't fit in. They're outsiders. They're misfits. They're non-citizens. Not necessarily legally, but culturally they're scattered all throughout uh, Asia Minor. They are those who feel, listen to this, they feel like they don't have a home. 
and they feel that as foreigners, as outsiders, they got no future. Have you ever been in situations, been in maybe in a classroom or in a work situation where you're thinking, you know, I got no future here. I don't fit in. They felt unimportant and irrelevant. When I was actually as a kid, I had the wonderful opportunity of traveling to a lot of countries throughout the world. I actually visited a number of majority world countries. And often in those, in those smaller countries, let's say like Jordan, um, and places like the Middle East, uh, we would go, we'd get to the airport, and you'd go through customs, and you'd be standing in line, and things weren't, you know, things weren't very organized administratively, so the, long, the line was long anyway. And what would happen is we, we'd get close to the front of the line, and uh, what would happen was a, a new, a new uh, airplane would have, have arrived, and the, those group of folks would, 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 would come to the customs, and it was the practice at, at often at these various uh, airports of these majority world countries that if you were native to that nation, if you were from there, you were a citizen of that country, you were able to cut in line and, 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 and in, the, in, the, in the customs line. You were able to go to, go to the front. And so there we were, we'd get to the front of the line and suddenly a new, a new uh, group of passengers would come through, a majority of whom were natives, and they would simply cut right in line. <laughs> and we would actually have to fall back in line. We were never, we would, we would well, get close to being up front, then we would be sent to the end of the line. Why? Because we were foreigners. And we quickly realized in line that we would never, we would never be first. We could never be first because we were outsiders, we were foreigners. Why does Peter address them in this way? Why does he, is he trying to insult them and say, hey, you know, you guys are, just, you guys are outsiders. Hey, your shoes are stupid. Why is, why is he addressing him now? Is he trying to insult him? Or is he saying something else? Well, listen to this. In high school, when I got to high school, things began to change for me. I got to be good at all the right things. I was good at sports. I was good at school. I was a good student council. I was even relatively good at singing. <laughs> and at last, I be, finally felt like I just might fit in. until I looked in the mirror one day and I didn't like what I saw. And I asked myself, do you really want to fit in? You want to be one of those people? Am I really happy always frantically trying to fit in, to be smart enough to be the good enough student, good enough at sports, good enough at student council, good enough at singing, go always trying to be good enough. It's exhausting. And will I ever really get there? Will I always, will I ever really truly know that I fit in? And even when I fit in today, am I going to fit in tomorrow? Just because I played well in, in, in that particular sport, in that particular game today, and people like me, I scored the points, will they like me tomorrow? Will I still fit in tomorrow? Will I ever really get in and stay in? When I was doing my graduate work overseas, I was in, uh, in the UK, one professor explained to me, he said, here at this university, you see, this, this university, he said, is like a long series of rooms with a locked door connecting each of the rooms. And everyone in each room is having polite conversation with one another over tea while subtly trying to look for the key to unlock the door to get to the next room. 
right? Everyone's trying to progress socially, to fit in, to get to the next room, to progress somehow. And he looked at me and he said, Bruce, understand, because you're an American, there are some rooms that you will never find the key to. See, the thing is, what if fitting in is not only impossible? What if it's actually not desirable? What if it's actually good to not fit in? What if there's actually a lot of rest and even joy to be found in not always frantically trying to fit in? In fact, what if not fitting in is a gift? It's a gift. And see, Paul, uh, Peter is addressing his audience as those. He's saying, you're misfits. And that's actually not a bad thing at all. You're exiles, you're outsiders, and that's okay. Keep your chin up. What if it's actually a gift? What if some of the ways in which we've been rejected in life are actually ways that, that someone's trying to do something? That someone out there is actually awakening us to something more? What if there's actually someone out there who has actually deliberately made it so that we don't fit in, so that we awaken to reality around us? Some of you, I, I recently, in the last three or four months, I introduced, introduced my, my kids to the Johnny Cash song uh, called A Boy Named Sue. You guys know this song, A Boy Named Sue? Right, where you, you go through the whole story, and, it's, and you know, this, this guy's retelling the story first person, and basically toward the very end, he meets his father, who had named him Sue, Right, and caused all the struggle all his life, caused him to never fit in. And the father, of course, explains why he named him Sue. And uh, Cash says, I came away with a different point of view. All right. And it's this idea that, you know, he had actually brought, he had introduced struggle into his son's life for good reasons, for noble reasons. So, what if not fitting in is a sign of someone's favor? See, look back at verse one again. Peter just doesn't call them exiles, foreigners. What does he also call them? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. Elect exiles. See, they're, they're, they're foreigners who've been shown favor in some way. What does this mean? It means that these misfits, these foreigners, have been shown favor by someone. They've been elected or selected or chosen you know, for some of us, that word chosen or elect sounds has such a negative connotation, right? It sounds so elitist. It sounds that way, but it's actually not. I'm explain why. In fact, it's actually quite humbling. And why do I say that? I say that because here the word elect or the word chosen is not to be confused with the idea of being choice. See, someone, something's choice. Like you go, to, you go to Costco and you buy choice beef. Choice means that it's this amazing you choose something because it's so amazing it's so good it's not like anything else this is not choice he doesn't say they're choice he says they're chosen and here chosen has a connotation that you had to be chosen that you weren't looking for it in fact there's the last thing you had to be actually pulled out pulled away this is not something that you were going after it was actually something you're running from and someone actually selected you they they pulled you back so, for example, in John 15, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says something very uncomplimentary. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Or when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he reminds these sort of proud, arrogant, haughty Corinthians, he says to them, consider your calling. 
brothers and sisters, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. He's saying, look, God, God called you, and he called you not because you were so cool. He called you because you were not. You were nobodies. But God loves to choose the nobodies. He loves to choose the misfits. Did you hear that? God almost prefers those who are outsiders. He favors the foreigners. See, what's astonishing is that God loves to go after the nobodies. And here's the thing, nobody, even the nobodies, are going after God. And we saw this actually back in, if you remember from, we were going through Luke this past school year. We saw in Luke 14 the parable of the great banquet, where there's this man, and he decides to host this great feast, and he's preparing all of this. He's killing the fatted calf. He's doing all kinds of things to get everyone ready. He's already sent out all these invitations. And what? The day arrives, everything's ready, and he sends out his servants to, to tell those who invited to come. And guess what? Everyone starts making up all these excuses. Oh, I gotta do this. Oh, I gotta go wash my dog. I know I gotta do this. I gotta do that, and no one comes. And it's this massive insult. Here's this great, this great man, incredibly generous, and no one's interested. Everyone's too busy. And that's this incredible picture of humanity as they relate to God. That actually everyone's too busy for God. Everyone, no one seems to want to get to know Him, to be in, to enjoy His plenty, to enjoy His abundance. So let me ask this question again. What if being a misfit, what if being a foreigner, what if being excluded at school, what if being excluded at work, what if being passed over for that job promotion, what, what, if, what, if, what if being a misfit is actually a sign of God's favor? So look at verse 2. Peter says that their status as elect exiles is no accident. Their status as favored foreigners is actually all part of a triune God's plan for them. Look at this. They are, at, they are elect exiles, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. This is actually part of God. God knew this. He, he actually planned it. In the sanctification of the Holy Spirit, they've actually been set apart by their spirit. They've been set apart in a way that makes them, that brings them out of the culture that they're in for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. It's this idea, again, of being set apart, of being actually, according to God's plan, they're misfits, but they're misfits. They're foreigners that have a future that, we're, that he's, Peter's going to share with us very shortly. See, Peter is saying the fact that you feel like a misfit is actually no accident. I can't tell you how hard it is to see the stats on uh, some of the big data is crunched on Google. And some of the most common questions that are found on Google that relate to God are things like, why would God make me? Can you guess what they are? Why would God give me this impediment? Why would God give me, why would God make me gay? Why would God you know, allow this to happen in my life? Why would God bring in, why would he make me such a misfit? Why would God make me black? And it just breaks your heart. And Peter is actually introducing this idea that maybe there's something really promising about being a misfit. It's going to open your eyes to the way the world really is, how broken how unfair, how cruel, how competitive. And it makes us stop and think, why do I even want to belong here? Is this really where I want to be? Is this really who I want to be? So Peter addresses his audience as misfits, as foreigners. 
But it's not to insult them. He wants to embrace that title. In fact, later in the book, he's going to call them again, misfits, to call them foreigners. He wants to embrace that sense of not belonging. And he wants to call them away from frantically trying to fit in. He wants them to see that, yes, they're foreigners, but that they're favored. They're favored. How? Well, that question raises a very important question. Why are we all trying to fit in? You ever asked that? Why are we always trying to find the right clothes, the right degree, the right school to get into? Why are we all trying to fit in? You know, one of the most wonderful things about having kids is that you have an excuse to read children's books. <laughs> and I think children's authors are some of the most amazing people on the planet. So as, as, a, as a preacher, I'm always trying to communicate things simply. And I find that uh, children's books are just loaded with brilliant ways of communicating some simple ideas in profound ways. Like next Sunday, foot stomp, foot stomp, next Sunday is a children's service, and I'll actually be sharing or reading a book, a book called Are You My Mother? Are You My Mother? Some of you know this book. I hear, I hear laughter because it's such a profound book. It's this little, this, this little chick going around asking about, trying to figure out where its mother is. It's something very touching, very moving. All of us are going from sports to school to career asking, where do I belong? Where is my mother? Let me pause and ask you, who are you? What makes you, you? Is it your ethnicity? Is it your gender? We hear a lot about those things, don't we, in our culture today. Is it your sexuality? Is it your political affiliation? What makes you, you? Is it your net worth? Your job title, your grades, your athletic ability, your alma mater, your connections? What makes you, you? And who gets to decide that? Who are you letting decide that? Whom are you looking to to say, you define me, you tell me who I am? Or maybe you say, no, no one can define me. I define me. And I would say, well, which you? The, you, the, the Monday you? The Tuesday you? The 12th grade you? The 20-something you? Which you gets to decide who you really are? So who are you? What makes you you? And, and where do you belong? And why do we so often feel like we don't belong? See, Peter is addressing them as positively as foreigners as favored. And how are they favored? Well, he tells us. Look in verse 3. They're favored because God has made them family. I thought those of you take notes. Yes, they're foreigners, but they've been made a family. Look at verse 3, just the first half. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, that is according to his great favor, his faithfulness, he has caused us to be born again. That is to say, another translation, he has given us new birth. He's brought us into a new family. Yes, you're foreigners, but now you have a place, a belonging. That means that while the world continues to see Peter's audience as misfits, while the world continues to see us as God's people, as misfits, as foreigners, the Creator now sees us as a father, sees his children as family, as family. It was the artist, Vincent van Gogh, 
who uh, actually for a while, uh, very much, for quite a while, very much tried to be a minister uh, of, of the gospel. And uh, in his it's only one surviving sermon, he says this, what is it that we ask of God? What is it? It's a profound question. What is it that we ask of God? And he answers this way. We want a father. A father's love and a father's approval. And Peter is saying, hey, the world will never accept you. You will never accept you. You'll never be good enough for yourself. You'll always be an outsider, even yourself. But God has made you family. He's made you family. Well, how? What does that mean? We'll, we'll talk about that. But remember, first, as foreigners, foreigners have no future unless they have no hope. But look what Peter says next in verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living, into a living hope. Do you see it? Because we're family, that means that we have a future. You got that? So we were, we're foreigners still in the world, but now we're family, and because we're family, we have a future. We have a hope, he says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he explains this future hope, verse 4, into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. See, he says you become family and therefore you have a future. I'll make that more concrete in one, one, in one second. Then he says, how are we to respond to that? How do we respond to the fact that though we don't belong out there, we belong in here? He tells us in verses 6 and 7 that we are to rejoice, even in the midst of rejection. Look at verses 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. He's saying we rejoice. When, when we find out that we've been family members, we rejoice even in the midst of rejection. He says you rejoice even though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. He's speaking of the, the, daily, or the daily grind of being rejected by the world, of being considered a problematic, as being considered an outsider, always wrong. But he says even these trials, verse 7, they come so that the genuineness of your faith might be tested. A faith that is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is, refined, it is tested by fire, so that you may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So how does, it, how does this happen? Step back and say, okay, this is all kind of a little vague for me. How do I become a family member? How is it that I'm not just a foreigner, but that I actually become a family member? And the answer is faith. It's faith. It is faith. This is so meek. It's very simple. It is faith in the one who was raised from the dead. It's faith in the firstborn son. And what do I mean by that? It's faith that looks to Jesus Christ. Listen to this. That looks to Jesus Christ and sees him not as a fraud, but as one who was faithful to God. See, in the ancient world, Jesus was understood to be someone who was just totally who was who was rejected by the Roman Empire, rejected by God because he was on he hung on a cross. They saw Jesus as the problem. The world concluded that Jesus was the problem. But to be welcomed into the family of God is to say, no. It's no surprise that the world rejected the one who is love. And if the world is rejecting Jesus, I'm standing with Jesus. 
The world rejects Jesus as a fraud. They can regard me as a fraud. If they're going to reject him, I will stand with him. I will sit with him. I will be on his side. To have faith in the firstborn son is to, is to, is to be found in God's family. See, faith is about recognizing Jesus as legitimate. As legitimate and authoritative. He is legit and he is Lord. Lord over a new heavens and a new earth. He is in charge of the cosmos, rightly so. Who else should be in charge of this mess? Who else has more, who else has more, um, a better resume? Who else, who else was more loving? Who else was more, more welcoming? Who else was more wise? Who else was, is willing to stand in our place more than Jesus Christ? And so he says to become part of this family, you must have faith. In the Son, look at verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, that is Jesus, you love him. Though you, do not, though you do not now see him, you believe in him, you have faith in him, you regard him as faithful, as legit, you regard him as Lord, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, every day at school, and go back to when I was a kid, Every day at school, I would go and I'd realize what a misfit I was. But you know what? I had the incredibly undeserved privilege of being raised in a home, a family that was amazing. And sometimes I would get off that school bus in tears and I would run home because I knew at home I had a father who loved me. A father who valued me. And not only that, in my case, not only was I so privileged to have a wonderful home, I was also had an older brother. This will help you understand what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ. I had an older brother. My older brother, Brian, he's one of my heroes. He's six and a half years older, older than I am. He's a, he's all, he also is a minister um, of a Presbyterian church back in Montana. And my older brother, um, he... Growing up in his first 18 years um, was very small. In fact, if you've seen the movie Captain America, you, know, you can sort of get the storyline of my brother. He was a small kid. He was short, scrawny, and he was always made fun of. And I loved him. I looked up to him, and I thought, you know what? If, if, if those kids at that school are rejecting my brother... Fine. I don't want to be received by them. I don't want to be welcomed by them. See, I had a brother go before me, and the world rejected him. So why would I want to be welcomed by that world? And I aligned myself with my brother, my older brother. I said, well, you know what? If he's going to be rejected, I'm going to be rejected. Because I know that he's on the right side. I know that he stands for love. I know that he stands for what is right. This is exactly what we do with Jesus Christ. We look to him, we have faith in him, say, you know what? If he's a misfit, so am I. And when we say that, the Father brings us into his family, a place of belonging. And what's so amazing is my older brother did, definitely got the last word. He really did. It was in college that he sprouted about 6'1", 6'2", bolt up, 
And he went, to, he went to the Air Force Academy just like I did. He was a big guy, and it was wonderfully successful. He went from rejection to glory. He went from being, from being dismissed to being embraced. He went from being in a, a position of no authority to a position when he was in the military, shot up through the, the ranks. That's exactly the picture of Jesus Christ. It's that he is, is this one where we see, where it's basically a move from rejection to glory. And we see that in our final section of the passage, verse 10. See, in, in, verses, in our final portion here, verses 10 through 12, we see this wonderful picture where, where, where he's, he's first addressed us as, as foreigners. He speaks of us as family. He says, we enter that family through faith. And he says, all of this, this whole thing, this idea of being foreigners that become family through faith, that's all been foretold. It's all been foretold through the prophets. Verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when, when he predicted the sufferings of Christ, that is the rejection of Christ, and the subsequent glories that Christ was first rejected, but now he's resurrected and he's reigning. And that's the whole motif, that we as, as family members, as brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, we share in that path of rejection by the world, but yet ultimate future vindication. Verse 12, it was revealed to them, that is the prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which even angels long to look. Peter is saying, he's, he's, telling, he's, he's, he's basically saying, look in the rearview mirror of Scripture, and you will see again and again that God's key people, from Joseph to Moses to David, that every single one of them was rejected. They were all rejected. They were all misfits. They were all foreigners. It's the story of, of Joseph going down, 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 rejected, more rejected, more rejected, and then what? Vindicated, brought to the right hand of Pharaoh, giving life and blessing to the whole world, a world that is, was, was languishing in famine. It's Moses, right? God raises up Moses, and he's rejected by his own people in Egypt, in slavery, only to be exalted by God to lead his people out of bondage. It's David, who is a political enemy, uh, just uh, always on the run, and ultimately vindicated. See, it's this story, because he's saying, he's like, don't you see this whole idea of being a misfit, of, of being someone who goes from being a foreigner to a family member, someone who goes from humiliation to glory? It's all there in the prophets from day one. This is nothing new. It's all part of the story. So when Peter goes to begin, when he begins his letter, he calls us. He says, you know, stop exhausting yourself trying to fit in. Align yourself with the rejection of Jesus. His resurrection shows that he was on the right side. God vindicated him, showing that Jesus was in the right, that this is the future, and are you going to share with it? Are you going to be on the right side? And Jesus calls us, I'm sorry, Peter calls us to invest in this family right here. See, all of you look around left and right, you're all, we're all a bunch of misfits, aren't we? We don't fit in. And Peter says, that's wonderful. You're not young enough. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. It doesn't matter. What changes the world 
is, built, is willing to be rejected for the sake of another. What changes the world is love, cross-like love, a story that has been told again and again throughout the Old Testament and climaxes in the story of Jesus. Embrace the fact that you're a foreigner. Embrace the fact that you're a family member. You will never stop being loved. You will never stop being welcomed as long as you align yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. You surrender all that you are, your time, your money, your body, your thoughts, your relationships. Those of you ladies who are going on Tuesday mornings through Jonah, you stop running. You stop running. And you embrace the suffering and the struggle, the rejection. You go back in to the hard situations, celebrating that it's okay to be a foreigner, celebrating that you're a family member, celebrating that you will never, ever be told to go away. It's a beautiful thing. Guys, I long for Good Shepherd to be a family. And I see it. I see it happen. Even this last three or four weeks, it just, I come in here at 920, put on my mic, and this sanctuary has become louder than ever. Don't you know you're supposed to be stiff, upper lip, quiet Presbyterians? Right? I love how this the sanctuary is when you guys are talking, you're, you're, you're just sharing. People are staying around longer after the service, talking, sharing their hearts, their lives. Tuesday night, evening, the women's Bible studying hearing such great reports. All of these things are answers to prayer. All of these things are just wonderful evidence that God is at work among us. We just had a little, a little baby born this past Wednesday. It was so much fun. I saw Lorelai on Thursday afternoon. It was so much fun to see that little girl, David and Sarah, doing so well. We're a family. It's a beautiful thing. It was so much fun five weeks ago to have five of you receive the membership. It's so much fun to have five of you again this coming this coming, this, 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 uh, today to have that. So I just, I just ask all of you will, you, will you continue in faith? Will you continue to make this church a family? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it's so beautiful that from the beginning you called misfits. Think of Abraham and Sarah and just how they were foreigners. They were outsiders. They were nobodies. And yet you called them. Thank you that you call us as misfits. Father, we're weary. We're tired of always trying to fit in, of always trying to get good enough grades, always trying to be beautiful enough, of, 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 of performing best on the team. We're tired, tired of trying to please everyone around us. Father, we can't even please ourselves. Father, we come to you now seeking rest, rest from all of that. Lord, and we ask that you would make us your family. We align our lives, our hearts with Jesus Christ. We see him as truly love. And we want to align ourselves with him. We want, we want to fall on our knees before him, profess his lordship in our lives. But we thank you for the riches of your scriptures. I tell of Joseph and Moses and David and those who've gone before, showing us the shape of life. And it is a life of rejection, a life of rejection that results finally in a resurrection and a reign at the right hand of Jesus. Oh Lord, we long for that day. We long for that day of glory. We long for the day when we no longer feel ashamed. We no longer feel like outsiders. We no longer feel like misfits. We long for that day. But Father, I pray here and now that that day would come sooner 
as we come here on Saturday mornings, that we would welcome one another, that no one here would feel like a misfit, that no one here would feel too ugly, too old, too broken, too addicted, too lost, too confused, that we would feel like we belong. Oh, Father, please help us to welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed us. We thank you indeed that he is a wonderful, merciful Savior. So, Father, please, let us revel in who he is. Let us rejoice in who he is as we sing together. We pray in his wonderful name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this beautiful song, Wonderful Mercy.